Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that You are a God who speaks to us, who interacts with us, who gives us Your full attention no matter who else is talking to You all around the world. We thank You, God, that You are a um, God who desires a conversation with us. And so uh, we pray, I pray, that we would uh, continue to learn about that today and put these things into practice. Uh, not as a skill to have, but as a uh, blessing to know you more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, this is our last Rector's Forum for quite a while. And the last in a series on um, uh, on the, the Lectio Divina, which I have uh, enjoyed. I hope you have as well. Um, there will be one or two sort of Rector's Forum type things uh, this summer, particularly in August. Uh, Marsha King has a lecture she would like to give after the service. That's our fellowship thing. But just encourage you to use this. One of the reasons I wanted to do this uh, this course before the summer, uh, before my sabbatical, was so that you would have the resource uh, and another tool in your tool belt to, uh, to read and to converse with God through His Word. Um, we're moving from uh, meditation and conversation to contemplation today. So we've got um, uh, reading the Scriptures, meditating on the Scriptures, praying the Scriptures, and now contemplating the Scriptures as the fourth part of Lectio Divina. Um, and it really has to do, I think, of taking, at least in the way he explains it, has to do with taking our... Um, <clears throat> sort of going beyond the bounds of Scripture, not beyond the bounds of ortho, scriptural orthodoxy, but, but beyond the bounds of our time in Scripture, and seeing God, having eyes to see God work in the world around us, sort of recognizing His, his work in the world. Uh, it's not New Age, it's not sort of woo-woo, it's really just seeing, uh, having such a God consciousness that you're able to recognize something not as just good fortune, not as just beautiful, um, but actually is the work of God uh, in and around you. So, do you seek to encounter God in every part of your life? Yes. I think you're being very generous with yourselves. <laughs> I think, I, I do believe that you, you, you strive to. I often, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I often don't think about it. Um, now, when I encounter a person in need, or I have a need, you know, certainly, but if I'm just, uh, like, for instance, yesterday, I was just planting plants, and, um, all day, and, um, and I wasn't thinking, wow, God, your creation is so awesome, wow, I'm so glad for this body that you've given me that can do this, um, I was actually thinking, gosh, I'm sore, um, but, uh, but, so I think it's really good, uh, if you, if you kind of have that ongoing conversation, uh, in your mind, do you place any conscious or unconscious restrictions on where you may encounter God? No. Sure. Yes. Absolutely. No. Yes. Absolutely. I was sitting in traffic uh, last week with Greenland roping all the mess, and I, believe me, I was not looking for God. Yeah. I, yeah. I was, you were calling down fire from heaven, I think, on some. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, that was yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I was not a pleasant person to be with. Thirty minutes for that five-minute drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 
It, it sounds funny, really. I mean, I, I know you well enough to think that it would sound funny just to say that out loud, like 30 whole minutes of my long life, you know, but, and yet that is where we, we go a lot. Um, Acts 17, and he'll, he'll reiterate this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And that is uh, Paul speaking to the Athenians. We actually had that passage as part of our lectionary last week. And, uh, and it fits perfectly uh, with, with this framework of seeing God in all things. And that actually was what Paul was trying to say to them in Athens. All right, well, let's take a look at the video, the last video with Pete Grieg. Pete Grieg. Well, congratulations. You've made it to the fifth and final session of the lecture course. What a journey it's been. The first step, of course, was lecture, hearing the Lord's voice by reading and respecting his written word in the Bible. Step two was meditatio, hearing the Holy Spirit in our thoughts by meditating upon the Bible. Step three was oratio, turning our meditation into conversation with the Lord in prayer. And now the final step is contemplatio, moving from meditation and conversation into contemplation, in which we encounter the Lord beyond the text in the whole of life. We begin with a prayer composed by the British comedian Frank Skinner. Lord, all the hard work of prayer is sometimes replaced by a yearning to just be, to silently be. It isn't not praying, it feels more like being prayed. And so I rest here for just a short time. I sort of know it's where the glory is, but it's a place I feel too naked to stay long. I also feel, and I don't mean to reduce you, that the silence might be the one place that you don't know what's coming next either. Amen. On October the 13th, 2016, a vast 29-stone silverback gorilla called Kumbuka escaped from his enclosure at London Zoo. The press went crazy. Hysterical images of King Kong marauding through New York City seized the public consciousness. But in fact, Kumbuka merely trundled to his keeper's kitchen and busied himself drinking five litres of sweet, undiluted Ribena syrup before being sedated and returned to his enclosure. Lectio Divina at its worst could be a bit like that keeper's kitchen, a private space 
in which we sit around giving ourselves a sort of spiritual sugar rush, ignoring God's call to go out and exercise authority in the nations. But at its best, Lectio lets us loose. It, it sets us free because it enables us to absorb God's word so deeply that we begin to become God's word for a world that may never read the Bible. The skills that we've been learning in sacred reading, meditation, and prayer are scalable and transferable because the more we find God in his word, the more our eyes are opened to see him in his world. The more we hear him speak in private prayer, the more we are primed to discern his voice in the wider culture. Lectio Divina can ultimately be applied to the whole of life. Learning to meet with him in the Bible is it's kind of cheating. It's the easy bit that trains us for the much trickier challenge of seeing him, hearing him, and worshipping him in less obviously sacred contexts. And this is precisely what we see in Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul addresses the people of Athens. He spent his whole life studying, memorizing, and soaking in the scriptures. And now, Instead of rebuking the Athenians for their idols, he points to one dedicated to an unknown God. And he uses this pagan symbol to point them to the God who made the world and everything in it, who does not live in temples built by human hands and gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Shockingly, he then quotes from one of their own most famous writers, saying, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Instead of just quoting the Bible to the Athenians, Paul is thinking biblically, recognizing that God can speak through all things, even, in this instance, something as sinful as an idol. Contemplation is the form of prayer that helps us to hear God and see God in the whole of his creation. It, it moves us beyond words to simply enjoy being with the Lord, caught up in his love, completely focused on him. I love how it's defined by Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Spanish nun whose book, The Interior Castle, is a classic on this subject. She describes contemplative prayer as an intimate sharing between friends. Isn't that beautiful? And the great hymn writer Charles Wesley talks similarly about being lost in wonder, love, and praise. What this means in terms of Lectio Divina is there's a sort of progression from reading the text to meditating upon its meaning, and then from meditation to conversation in prayer, and ultimately from words into silence, from doing into being and from prayer into worship. This requires a little lingering after praying, resisting the urge to rush off, pausing very simply to enjoy God's loving presence. Perhaps this sounds difficult, a little otherworldly, but it really isn't. We all do contemplation quite naturally, whenever we lose ourselves in a great movie, 
or a beautiful piece of music, or the hysteria of an exciting sporting event. In many ways, these are the moments that we live for. They are rumors of another world. They're hints that we are designed to be caught up in something greater than ourselves, that we are fundamentally hardwired to worship. Almost 500 years ago, St. John of the Cross summed up this process, and indeed the whole journey of Lectio Divina, very simply like this. Sink in reading, and you'll find in meditation. Knock in prayer, and it will be open to you in contemplation. In other words, contemplation is the culmination of the process. It's the goal towards which all our reading and meditating and praying actually leads. And to help us explore this more, today's guest is, well, a little different. So far in the course, we've heard from a British nun, an Eritrean gospel singer, an Australian-Italian psychologist, and a Nigerian-English intercessor. But today, we are learning about Lectio Divina and contemplative prayer from one of the ancient wonders of the world. Welcome to one of the wildest, most wonderful places I know. For thousands of years, weary travelers, pilgrims, monks, villagers have taken the three-mile trek across these sands behind me, guided by these poles bound for the holy island of Lindisfarne off the northeast coast of England near the Scottish border. It was the year 634 AD that an Irish monk called Aidan first walked across these sands with a steely determination to establish in this unlikely place a place of prayer for the nations and an apostolic center from which to push out and preach the gospel to the Northumbrian people. Cut off from the world twice a day by the tide, Aidan and his fellow monks withdrew continually to pray and practice Lectio Divina. And then as the tide receded, they would venture forth to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to care for the poor, and to establish colonies of heaven wherever they went. Praying the word and preaching the word, this was the rhythm of their lives. Aidan's name means little fiery one, and he really lived up to it. I love the story of the time where a local king is very impressed by Aidan and noticed he walked everywhere on foot, decided to give him a fine stallion. It'd be like giving a pastor a Porsche or a Ferrari today. Aidan accepted the gift gladly, got on the horse and rode it out of the castle. But the very first beggar he came to, Aidan dismounted and gave the horse to the poor man, walking off, I imagine him whistling on his way. Here is a fiery one who, the furnace of his life was prayer, but then he went out and set the world on fire wherever he went. At the heart of the prayer life here on Lindisfarne, Aidan and successive generations of monks lived their whole lives around the scriptures. 
They prayed, studied, transcribed, sang, meditated upon, and even illustrated the Bible. More than 1,300 years ago, the monks in this place spent more than 10 years meticulously transcribing and gloriously illustrating the four Gospels. Uh, and they, they covered it in a jewel-encrusted case. It became one of the great wonders of antiquity, known simply as the Lindisfarne Gospels. The themes that we've been exploring together on this course really all come together in an extraordinary way within the Lindisfarne Gospels. We explored in our first session the joy and wonder of Lectio Divina, reading the Bible prayerfully as a living conversation with God. As we can see so clearly here in the history of this place, Lectio Divina is the most ancient, authentic, and biblical way of reading the Bible prayerfully with breathtaking devotion, imagination, and love. In our second session, we took the first of the four steps of Lectio Divina. Lectio, simply reading the text slowly and reverently. It's an attitude which would not have seemed at all strange to the monks who sat here transcribing that beautiful Lindisfarne Gospel. It's estimated that they handmade an astonishing 90 different colors using local herbs and minerals, binding the ink with egg white and fish glue to more than 500 pages of vellum. In our third session, we move from Lectio to Meditatio, exploring Christian meditation. 1,300 years ago, the monks who made the Lindisfarne Gospels knew nothing about the limbic region of the brain, but they undoubtedly understood. The Bible is not just to be studied, but to be meditated upon deeply, poring over every single word, taking 10 years to transcribe each phrase prayerfully, meticulously, and with startling imagination. In our fourth session, we moved from meditatio to oratio, praying the Bible, taking the written word of God and turning it into a living conversation with God. The Psalms that Aidan and his community would have recited daily accompanied them into the fields. The scriptures that they memorized shaped a whole life of continual conversation with the God that they saw all around them in nature and in the people that they met. Eventually, Viking raiders destroyed the abbey built in this place by Aidan and his followers. The light that had blazed out so brightly from this place seemed to have been extinguished. The community left in ruins, much like the ruins of Waverley Abbey. It's kind of easy to imagine it on a blustery day like this. And yet, in a way, nothing had changed. Because the word of God, that was the heart of the community here in Lindisfarne, and was the heart of the community at Waverley Abbey too, lives on today, alive and active, relevant and revolutionary. And over these five sessions together, and down these many centuries that we've journeyed, we have realized afresh 
the invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ to hear his word in the Bible and to encounter him day by day, walking with him more nearly and loving him more dearly and hearing him more clearly as we pray. The Lindisfarne Gospels are a reminder that Lectio Divina isn't some new tool or technique, but actually the most ancient invitation to interact with God's word prayerfully and attentively for the sake of God's world, and to do so with hearts full of worship. And so let's finish this session and indeed this whole course with a wonderful prayer written some eight centuries ago, about actually the time that this place, Waverley Abbey, was being established by one of their fellow Cistercian monks, Isaac of Stella. He himself is my contemplation. He is my delight. Him for his own sake I seek above me. From him himself I feed within me. He is the field in which I labor. He is my cause. He is my effect. He is my beginning. He is my end. He is, for me, eternity. Amen. So if you uh, missed any of the sessions, you can go to 24-7prayer, I think is what it is. You can just Google 24-7prayer, 24-7prayer.com, I think, but you you can Google it. And go to resources, and the Lectio course comes right up, and you can watch any of them, and you can rewatch any of them. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what what you heard, what did you find helpful or challenging? Yes, Adrian. The very last thing you said, not looked at, but what did he say the name of that prayer was? The name of the prayer was written by somebody of Stella. I don't, yeah. Isaac of Stella. Yeah. I don't know Isaac of Stella. George? Yeah. Anybody been to Lindisfarne? Yeah, Reco- did you recognize the poles and everything? That's pretty neat. I've not, I've not been there. We got caught by the tide. You got caught. Yeah. Did you did you walked across? Is that was that? No, you had gotten on the road. Yeah. We were on some little island. Yeah. That was part of part of the greater. Area. Mm-hmm. And the tide started to come in, and we thought we'd better go ahead and go, but it came in quick. Yeah. So we were probably up past our knees. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, what does the word contemplation make you think of? Solitude. Solitude. Deepness. Don't just read it and go, but sit there. Yeah. 
Soaking up. Yeah. Pardon me? Deep thought. Deep thought. Yeah, that's kind of what I think of. Just thinking about something. Thinking on something. Does, does that... Go ahead. There's also you know, an element of like a, a decision kind of to that. All right. The end of the contemplation is something else. It's not just... Action, action, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Action or decision. Uh-huh, decision, yeah. Good. So does the con- what you normally think of, does that match the content of what you heard in contemplation? As Pete Grieg explained it to us from Linda's farm. You'll have to work on that for this. Oh, shoot. I, try- I actually reached out to him to try to meet up with somebody from that organization. I have not heard back does it um, match up? What was new in this? I'm sorry, what, what, what was new in this video in thinking your thought about contemplate your contemplation about contemplation? We are hardwired to worship. We're hardwired to worship, yeah. Yeah. The contemplation comes naturally and, and when we get caught up in a movie or we you know cheer for the Jaguars or you know, used to bemoan them, um, that, that all is, in a sense, contemplation. It's a, a thoughtful response. Yeah. And so we can do that with the Scriptures and take that into the world. What else? Learning to be still. Learning to be still. Learning to be still. I, I had a, a with silence, the place where you don't know where you are going. And I think that in today's culture, I worked with a guy one day, he was on the telephone, the radio was going, the TV was going on, I said, when did God ever get a chance to talk to you? Yeah. I think we're like afraid of, we have to constantly be fed with Yeah. Susie was saying that she was talking to somebody who had the TV on, the radio on, all these different, you know, I think think about that with with our kids a lot, but, um, you know, and, and... Jane talked about the. Well, how did you say, it, Jane? That learning. learning to be still and silent, and it's it's a discipline. I've taught most of, most of you in this room are, are uh, retired, and, and I was talking to some some folks the other day. Maybe it was in our prayer group. that said, "I'm so busy, I don't know what to do." I mean, you know, like it just. You know, I've heard so many people say, I've, "I how did I ever have time to work?" Um, you know, the retired folks, and so learning to be still and taking that time with God is, in fact, a discipline. It's not something that comes naturally to us. We fill it with the noise. We fill our lives with the noise. Um, Pete shared the story of Kombuka the gorilla. What is the spiritual sugar rush traps that we can fall into as Christians? What are some of the... Did you relate to that? Did you kind of get that? Understand what he was talking about? It's kind of it's what we do when we rush from one task to the next. Yes. That's kind of how I related to that. Okay. Yeah. I think sometimes we can get this kind of buzz, and then we just go back to our cage. You know, like we just he didn't take he didn't use the energy of what he drank to go out into the world. Thank God, you know, and that's in that case. But um, but for us, um. For us, it would be really good to take that buzz out 
into the world. Yes, Jeff. So I think we've all been, you know, to either something like this or some other church event where there's a, you know, a, um, inspirational aspect to it or a charge to go out and do something great. We, we were all excited to think like the Linton series we were talking about, um, maybe it was a year or two ago, talking about uh, you know, some of the uh, social justice and being, you know, going out into the world and helping people kind of thing. Well, fired up. That's great. I'm going to get involved in that. And then what happens? Not much. Yeah. Too often. Too often. But then my show comes on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Deacon Beth. I think Curcio can be that way. Curcio can be that way. Yeah. A, a sugar rush, you mean? Oh, yeah. Or, or. And a sugar rush, and then you come down. Yeah. And the whole point of Curcio is not the weekend. It's the rest of your life. Right. Um, but you, you go to the weekend and you're so you're on such a mountaintop and then you come back into your real life. Yeah. And what do I do? Life is lived in the valley. Yeah. It is not on the mountaintop. But if you have not been to Curcio, we would strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, kindly, uh, but actively encourage you to do that. Um, yes, Sir George. The disciples coming down from the mountain after the transfiguration. Yes. Back to real life. Back to real life. And they found the disciples in the rest of the disciples in a turmoil, shouting match with about some not being able to do what they were asked to do. What has been the uh, over the course? If you've been here most of the five weeks, what's been the most challenging or um, thought-provoking, spiritually provoking thing that you've one thing that you've taken from this course? Adrian. Just to not, like I'll just stop and pray. Yeah. And I'll get back to whatever. Then I'll, I'll something will come up and I'll stop and pray. Um, he, he's like, you don't just pray, you don't just meditate. At that point, then you contemplate what, I, that, I need that. Yeah. I'm more of a, Con- you know, yeah. all over the map. Uh-huh. And when I do start to really pray and contemplate, my brain just goes off to something I didn't do or should do or. So I have to really reel myself in. Yeah, we're kind of hummingbirds, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and, you know, just thinking about what somebody else said about going from one, we have so much going on at once. We can, you know, turn on the TV and check our messages. And at the same time, I'll be taking care of the dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we're, we're really used to that way. I think for me, the idea of Scripture as conversation uh, is, has been really helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say that this is a way to read Scripture. It's not the way. It is a really good way, and an ancient way. There's nothing wrong with you flying through Scripture in 90 days. In fact, Marsha King, who will be here in August, she's led several groups reading the Scripture, the entire Bible, in 90 days. And um, we've had a couple of folks from our um, church who have done that with her, or maybe with the bishop, but the bishop learned it from her. And, um, and it's just, it's, you know, there's lots of ways, you know, Bible in a year or Bible in two years. That, those are great, but this is a really good way. And I encourage you to uh, add it to your toolbox. Let's uh, look at Matthew 13, uh, Matthew 14, 13 to 21. And, and as we've got about 10 minutes left, let's, let's go through our four steps. Deacon Beth, why don't you read it first? When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot 
from the town. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Have somebody else read it just a little bit more slowly this time and looking for, listening really, listening for phrases, words that jump out to you that the Holy Spirit is pressing upon you. Josh? Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. A few folks just named the, uh, the phrases or the thoughts that jumped out. A solitary place, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. Hmm. 
They do not need to go away. Bring them here to me. Those two, those two together were the ones that, that jumped out to me. They don't need to go away. Bring them to me. For me, it was you give them something. Mm-hmm. He had compassion on them. Compassion, yeah. He had gone away to be quiet, and he wasn't frustrated that they followed. He had compassion. Yeah, his solid. He wasn't hurt, but that his solitude was interrupted. He was. He saw it as an opportunity. Yeah, why did the gospel writers need to tell us about the leftovers? I give you life and I give it abundantly. Mm-hmm. I see as we take the gospel out into our communities or wherever we, wherever we are able to share it, um, there's always some broken pieces. It's not always it's not always something. Mm-hmm. It's always something There's no wrong or right way to do this, really, but I moved us to contemplation by asking that question. Yeah. All right. Let's let's read it again, and uh, and just maybe pause between the sentences or the phrases and offer prayers. Josh. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children.
thank you, Lord, that you take the little things we have to offer and make it more than enough for your own glory. Alright, one last time, and we'll contemplate. And then we'll take it out in the world and see where God takes a little bit of what we have to offer and makes it more than enough. Are you? Go ahead. When Jesus heard what had happened, <clears throat> he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of fish, Five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Hmm. You give them something to eat. Yeah, there's an unmistakably Eucharistic pattern. He takes the bread and the fish. He gives thanks. He breaks it. But instead of giving it to the people, he gives it to the disciples to give to the people. There's, a, there's an extra little step that we don't see in the Last Supper. And, um, and there's, there's something real to that, I think. We are to take what God gives us, what Jesus gives us, Give them something to eat. There's a, and there's a nourishment, a satisfaction with that. An abundance. An abundance, an overabundance. Picking up the broken pieces. Yeah. I think I've told you before, I often feel like I just kind of crawl into the pulpit with five loaves and two fish. And God makes it more than enough. 
about the disciples? There's no other as humans, that's what they're saying. Yeah, there was multiple that came with the the, the provisions. And, yeah. And multiplied many, many, many times. Multiplied many so times over. Yeah. Maybe what we when we go out and share something, that's how we say we spread the word. Well, I mean, think about the person who shared the gospel with Billy Graham. Slumps into heaven. Well, only got one guy. <laughs> Emily was going to say something. I was going to say, uh, you know what gets me about this? I mean, I understand everything else, but seemingly in quite a few passages, the disciples are always telling Jesus what to do. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that's not what we're talking about, but... <coughs> But, and I noticed Jesus, most of the times, go like, well, okay, let's see if we can work this out, type thing. Except that time when they fell asleep, those disciples fell asleep, we didn't like that. Yeah. You know, but um, it's just, it's amazing how much patience mm. that he has. Because I probably told those disciples, wait, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, my, my John, you get the parting shot. Yeah, Jesus didn't do this on his own. He went to God first. Yeah. He, he looked up to heaven, yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's a few can be many with God's help. Yes. All right, friends. Bless you. I hope this is a, uh, a, a blessing to you. Last week was really great because we just uh, sat and prayed and listened for each other. I want to encourage you to do that, whether right now or, or uh, some other time. I also really want to encourage you uh, to go on to church because the sermon is real good. It's real, it's real, real good. God bless you.